Well, good morning, everybody, and I just want to say a warm thank you to our entire music team, for those that played and sang, trust that your hearts were blessed, I know mine was, although it's a little different for me. This is our 12th Sunday, live streaming like this, and this was the first Sunday that I got to just sit in my office and enjoy the music, like so many of you are doing at home right now. I also want to thank, thank Brother Paul for taking the time to pray and to, I know, pray for me, to read scripture for us this morning. And uh, I'm just excited. We're going to go on a four-week journey together. I'm going to be preaching today and the next three Sundays leading into Father's Day. But before I jump into all that, a couple of things. One, I want to wish my daughter, Abigail, a very happy 18th birthday. Abby, I love you. Your mom and dad are very proud of you and the young lady and woman you've become and are still becoming, and I want to wish you a very happy birthday today as well, just to say thank you to every one of you. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for joining us. Now, in light of what Brother Paul just prayed and read, would you take your Bible, go to John chapter 11, and today I want to now continue in the series that I started a long time ago, because here we are. Here we are back to the gospel of John again. Now, I realize a lot has changed since I was last in this gospel. Many of you watching this live stream right now, or may perhaps watch this in the days ahead, don't realize that I was doing this. But for my church family, my Calvary Baptist church family, if you can remember... A long, long time ago in a church far, far away, I started us on a journey through the gospel according to John. He was called the beloved disciple. And this is about the life, maybe more accurately, the conversations of Jesus. For those of you that are visitors, you'll, you'll know that I actually titled my sermon series as I've been walking through the gospel of John, Conversations with Christ. The reason for that is John's gospel is actually very different from what is called the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now, not at all in truthfulness or trustworthiness, but rather John takes a very different approach and he sets up his gospel very differently. You see, John tells us the story of Christ way differently than Matthew, Mark, and Luke, often through long conversations of Jesus with people. Another thing that John does very differently is he doesn't tell you why he wrote his gospel till you're almost to the end. In John chapter 20, verse 30, John then tips his hand and says, here's why I've written all of this for you. It says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples. And they're not written in this book. So in other words, John is saying, look, I had a buffet of examples that I could have used to show you and prove to you about Jesus. But he said, I chose a specific set of signs. Then he tells you why. But these are written so that you may believe, watch this, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, here's the result that John wants you and I to know about. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's the crux of it. 
This is the journey I want us to go on for the next four Sundays. John's gospel is laid out very symmetrical. He starts in chapter 1 with an 18-verse introduction, and it's beautiful. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then, in chapter 1, verse 19, all the way to chapter 12, we have what is called the book of signs. Then in chapters 13 to 20, we have the book of exaltation. And then in chapter 21, John concludes his gospel. And all the while, John does two things to add to these conversations. He adds and chooses seven miraculous signs that back up what his purpose is, and as well, seven what's called I am statements of Jesus. Throughout the Gospel of John, you'll read in John chapter 2 how Jesus turned water into wine. And he shows us that when Jesus comes, true rejoicing will last for eternity. Then later, there's the cleansing of the temple where we see Jesus' authority. Then in John chapter 4, there's the healing of the nobleman. Sorry, the healing of the nobleman's son. Then in John chapter 5, we've got the healing of the lame man who was paralyzed for 38 years and believed into a superstition about a pool in Jerusalem that would bubble up and maybe that could heal him. Of course, the one miracle common to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is found in John chapter 6, which is the feeding of the 5,000. Then there's another miracle That is very unique. It's unique to John and unique to Jesus. John chapter 9, the healing of the blind man. What was unique about it was this was the first time in human history that a man or a woman was born blind and Jesus gives him his sight back. And then we come to John chapter 11. And I'll get into that, which is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And hang on to that in a minute. Along this, though, we come across seven I am statements. In John chapter 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. In other words, he's the one that can feed you and sustain you for eternity. In John chapter 8, he said, I am the light of the world. Interestingly enough, uh, in the backdrop of that would have been the temple and their four major uh, trumpet-like lamps that uh, lit up the entire temple mount. Then in John chapter 5, sorry, John chapter 10, he said, I am the door of the sheep. Again, later in John chapter 10, he said, I am the good shepherd. And then in our passage that we're going to look at for the next four weeks in John chapter 11, he says that famous, I am the resurrection and the life. John chapter 14 has probably one of the most well-known I am statements for those of us that are Christians. When Jesus says, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. And the one that is often overlooked but very important in the life of Christianity is found in John chapter 15, verses 1 and verse 5, when Jesus says, I am the true vine. And this is what John's gospel is. This is why I wanted to walk you through this gospel. And I pray that friends, visitors, church family, whatever the future holds for us over the next month as we make our way to Father's Day, that you'll make the effort and the commitment. Join me. Let's go on this journey together. 
But let me get personal. From the youngest of you to the oldest, male and female, we're a diverse church. You might have noticed what I'm wearing. This is an homage to all of our Filipino friends and family that are part of Calvary Baptist. One of my dear friends, Darren, brought this back from the Philippines for me, and I love it. And if you knew how hot it is in this room right now, I think it's like 26, 27 degrees in here. I am loving having this on. But the truth is, over the last 12 weeks, let me ask you some questions that I know are relevant for us all. Let me be pastoral, and let me ask you, what are you going through right now? How are you doing? Are you walking through a tough time? Are you experiencing the tension of life all around you? Can I ask you, what trial, what hardship is dominating your mind, your heart, your time right now? Are you going through something physical? Are you struggling mentally? Are you having some emotional ups and downs? In this global pandemic with economic uncertainty, are you having financial hardships? Maybe it's relationship. I spoke to one of our tech guys this morning who told me he hugged his mom for the first time in three months. I wonder how many, many relationship issues are out there. What are you walking through relationally right now? Hey, and listen, I don't know where you're at in the spectrum, but maybe you're going through something spiritual right now. You see, no matter what I preach, no matter who preaches at this church, no matter what I say to this camera as I try to talk to you, we are living in a pandemic world. Today, the last day of May of 2020, the world just passed 6 million cases of the coronavirus, and in parts of the world, it's growing exponentially. 370,000 souls have passed away from just one virus. Now, this might scare you. Worldwide, since January the 1st of 2020, almost 25 million people have died. Economic unknowns, racism, rioting in cities and streets, corruption, fear. And let's be honest, just overall hurt. And anxiety. You know, from my heart, with my personality and the way God has glued me together, I think one of the first thing, worst things that this pandemic has done more than ever has pitted humanity against itself. It's made us afraid of each other. Those who trust government and health officials, those who don't. There are those who think we need to totally take every caution and those who think it's all overblown and the two just kind of are at, e at, at odds with one another. We fear the second wave. We watch health updates and count new cases. We long for news of a vaccine or a treatment and even Christians and churches like businesses wait we wait to know, when will be, we be allowed to reopen and what will it look like? And then there's great debate and dare I say even disunity amongst churches and Christians. And this grieves me and I know it grieves God. Not to mention what it's like for us, most of my watching audience, for us here in Newfoundland. We live in a beautiful 
breathtakingly beautiful province that has a very shaky economy. And we've been through so many things. Can you imagine that Snowmageddon of January seems so far away in light of everything we have gone through so far over the last three months? We have so much going on and in it all. How are you holding up? This is the big struggle for me as a pastor. I can't lie. I have to love you and pray for you almost exclusively virtually. I look at a lens and I wonder what your faces look like. I wonder what your emotions are. I wonder how you're feeling. And I long to hold your hand or give you a hug or be with you and ask you, how are you doing? Listen, how have you discovered things about yourself over the last three months? Have you discovered areas where you have more strength, maybe more weaknesses? Have you been drawn closer to Jesus, or have you found it more difficult to read your Bible and pray, and God seems a million miles away? Now, I get it. Of course, there's a variety of answers to all of these questions, but let me just ask you one more. As I take a lot of time this morning to set up our journey in John 11, in light of all of what I've described in the world, what happens to you, what happens to me, what happens to us when we face our greatest trial? When you sense and feel your relationship with Jesus might very well be at its best as you face that greatest trial and you cry out to him and you trust him. And it seems like with all of that prayer and all that trust and all the the, the closeness that you're feeling as you're wrestling with this greatest trial and then everything goes wrong. You don't hear from Jesus The problem is worse than you thought it could ever be. And it seems like your whole world is falling apart. Let me ask, what do you do then? John 11 is the chapter for you and me then. And I believe it's the chapter that we should be walking through for a time such as this. I have always contended that the virus is only the beginning. There's the virus wave. I believe the economic wave is to come. And then I believe we're going to see a mental illness, spiritual, relational wave like we've never experienced probably in my lifetime. You see, there's a reason why the world says the only two certainties in life, death and taxes. These are the two things that even the world would agree with Christians and say, yeah, you can't avoid it. You see, John 11 reminds us that death is the great enemy. And you know what? I I love you, and so I'm going to say this. I think many of us live in denial of that. I think Western culture, Canadian culture, Newfoundland culture, North American culture tries to hide death. We try to sanitize it. You see, normally, we don't usually see death on display in the streets as you might in some parts of the world. However, tragically, lately, viral video world out there is making this more common, and it shakes us to our core. Normally for us in the West, corpses go straight to a morgue and then do a funeral home. The adage is out of sight, out of mind. Many of us 
have never seen a dead body. Fewer have witnessed a person actually die. Why? Because the truth is, we'd rather not think about death. We don't like to talk about it. Think about how often that comes up in your conversations. We'd prefer to pretend it won't happen to us. We can be very much like my granddaughter, who when she covers her eyes, she's convinced if she can't see you, then you can't see her. But, and listen to me now, friends, family, death is going to happen to us all. In fact, if God tarries 100 years from now, every one of you watching and listening to me will have passed away. Now you might say, well, jumping, Steve, welcome back to preaching. That sounds pretty harsh this morning. And I would totally agree. Because it is harsh. But listen, my friends, it's true. And here's my thing. Only as we confront the reality of death will you appreciate the hope of the resurrection. And watch me now, because this is where it all changed. There's nothing like death to make you desire life. John 11 begins with a sick Lazarus. Paul has already read those first 16 verses. His sisters, Mary and Martha, send word to Jesus. Come to Bethany, because the one whom you love is sick. But did you see? Jesus doesn't go right away. In fact, he deliberately waits. They're facing their greatest trial. They believe that Jesus loves them. John goes out of his way to tell us multiple times that Jesus loves Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And they've sent him word. And they've said, the one whom you love is sick. And he sits there. Waits two days. And Lazarus goes from the trial of illness to the finality of death. Mary and Martha go from anxiety about a sick brother to absolute devastation and mourning of a baby brother lost. And I would submit it's because Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. Perspective is everything. The passage before you today in John chapter 11 is the zenith of John's case. Well, well, actually, better stated, it's the last stop on the way to the top of Mount Everest, the hill of triumph. But first, let me try to put this into perspective. Now, and I'll do that with an illustration from Mr. Walt Disney himself and the Disney Corporation. Disney movies. Now, I can almost guarantee that every one of you watching this sermon right now with me live, or you are going to watch this in the coming days, has seen at least one Disney movie. Now, step back and think about the Disney movies you've watched. Have you ever noticed how they almost exclusively have happy ending stories? They're funny. They're action-packed with great music. They have fun with villains and heroes. They're full of fantasies and dream come true. Where do we get the expression? And they all lived happily ever after. But believe it or not, of all of the Disney repertoire, 
the most dramatic Disney movie of all time, the one that makes more adults and children cry, the one that even parents today actually have conversations and think about, will I let my children watch this movie at what age should they be, is none other, are you ready for this, than Bambi. That's right, Bambi. You see, this famous film about that cute little fawn is a movie that has a singular theme, death. Now, if you remember, because now your minds are racing, you see, Bambi was produced in the 1930s, just as World War II is about to become a reality, and death and violence were on the front pages of all the newspapers. Wait a second. Does that sound familiar to you? That death and violence are everywhere in the news? But in the film of the late 1930s, the animal characters view mankind as almost godlike. And here's the reason why. They perceived the the power of humans that they had to hunt and to kill. But in what is probably the most powerful part of the story, Bambi's father teaches his son that this fear wasn't true. So he takes Bambi into the woods to see the body of a poacher who's been killed. And in the dialogue of the novel and the movie, the old stag says to his son, Bambi, see how he's lying there dead like one of us? Listen, Bambi, this man isn't all-powerful, as they say. Everything that lives and grows doesn't come from him. He isn't above us. He's just the same as we are. He has the same fears, the same needs, and suffers in the same way. He can be killed like us. And then he lies, helpless, on the ground, like all the rest of us, as you see him now. And with the sad music to set up the emotions of the atmosphere, Bambi is silent, looking, staring, until his father says, Do you understand me, Bambi? Finally, Bambi whispers, I I think so. And his hesitation angers his dad. And he says, then speak to me. And Bambi says these famous words. There is another who is over us all. Over us and over him. And Bambi's father now says, now I can die. I can go. You see, my friends, this movie, this novel turned movie was created on the cusp of a world war, and Walt Disney had an agenda. It was a lesson about death. Death is real, and no part of creation is exempt from it. And you'll not stop it. You'll not overcome it. But the passage before us in John 11 that Paul read before us today is John the Apostle's opus to Jesus, and that death does indeed have a master. There is another who reigns over all, including death, and will also conquer sin and Satan. John chapter 11 is the boldest of proclamations. Ready? Jesus reigns. This is John's last and final sign that Jesus did while he was in his public ministry. This was meant to get all of us to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And by believing this, you'll have life. But in fact... Jesus is going to be the greatest sign of all. He's going to die himself for sin. Ready? Our sin. 
He would be buried. Then he would rise from the dead. This is what I believe. This is what you believe. This is what we are going to tell others about and are desperately wanting them all to believe. Listen, my friends, because of Jesus, death is not our enemy anymore. Paul boldly proclaims this in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says death, watch this, is swallowed up in victory. And so then he gets all rhetorical. He actually pokes fun of death. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. (laughs) But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. At home right now, can you say amen? (laughs) You know what? I can almost feel like I can hear you saying it. There's me waving my my hanky. (laughs) This is true, my friends. Jesus reigns. And this is why I'm so excited, I'm so emotionally charged to take you through this journey of John chapter 11. Because in John chapter 11, you will see Jesus display his power over death. But there's so much more. You're going to see the friendship of Jesus. You're going to see the love of Jesus. You'll discover the sovereign love of Jesus over our plans and our priorities. We'll learn lessons about perspective and even prayer. We're going to look at Lazarus and Mary and Martha. We're going to see how Jesus influences Lazarus to be a witness He transforms the attitude of Martha, overwhelms Mary to the point where she just lays herself before Jesus Christ. You'll see him teach great lessons to the disciples. Did you catch it in the verse 7 to 16? As they learn that only Jesus has both the power and the ability and the willingness to die and defeat death. But you know what? I actually believe that the greatest lesson in this chapter is that we're going to get a glimpse of the human emotions of Jesus. We're going to see how the one who is love, loves. We'll see his fondness and his friendship. We'll see his prayer life and his mission to the cross. You see, I love that in John 11, I get to see Jesus express desires that I have. A hatred of death, despising the pain that death causes. And I also learn, and we learn, how to respond to death as a Christian. Because we've got confidence that God is going to make all things new. And so that's why I'm going to take the next four weeks, leading all the way to Father's Day. But let me summarize this passage for us. As I've said, John chapter 11 is the seventh sign. It's the seventh sign. He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And he accompanies this with the fifth I am statement. And both are meant to shock you and get your attention. John wants us to, at this point, come to the realization of who Jesus is and why he came. So John is proclaiming. 
Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He's the one who has defeated death. He's the one that uses sufferings of sin for his good purposes. And that says God demonstrates his love in this. And that while the world is dying to sin, Christ gave it life. And more than anything, in those first five verses, we see how Jesus demonstrates God's sovereign love. If you leave this morning with anything, I want you to realize Jesus defines love differently than we do. John 11 is the climactic sign that John has specifically chosen in order to make us see Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. And you'll see that because in the coming weeks, that purpose statement of John chapter 20, both Mary and Martha will almost quote it verbatim. And what follows in chapters 12 to 17 is the final rejection of Jesus, the final conversation of Jesus with his disciples, And then John is going to take us into the Garden of Gethsemane, where in John chapter 17, we hear the prayer of Jesus as he prepares to die. And I don't want you to miss this. John chapter 9, the man born blind, and John chapter 7, or sorry, John chapter 11, Lazarus being raised from the dead, are two miracles that are completely unique to John. Because no one in biblical history had ever had their sight restored from birth. Nor has anyone been raised from the dead. Now watch this later on in the passage. Lazarus has been dead for four days. And that's important for you to realize. Because in Judaism, they believed that when a man or a woman died, their soul didn't immediately leave. It kind of hovered around the body for about three days. But after that, it was gone. Useless, final. And so the fact that Jesus lets Lazarus die, waits two more days, travels down to Bethany, and then they say to him, Lord, he's been dead for four days. You see, John has two main points. He wants us to focus on and never lose sight of this. God has a perspective on love. God has a perspective on his priorities. God has a perspective on his plans that are far over, far better, far deeper, far more wonderful than you and I could ever imagine. And listen, all of our trials, most of all including the trials of illness and death, are not unfelt by our Savior Jesus. But today, I want you to realize, sometimes as we walk through this global pandemic, as we deal with all the things that we're dealing with, with economic uncertainty and job losses and rioting in the streets and all the racial tension of America and all the unknowns about how to handle all these things around the world. Just like Mary and Martha thought, what gives with Jesus' delayed response? Maybe you're wondering, do I have a job? Will my marriage make it? Will my kids graduate and go to school? Will I get to see my parents again? Will my senior aged mom and dad in a nursing home stay healthy and protected? Will my government be kind to churches? I'm struggling. I'm crying out to God. Lord, you love me and I'm crying out to you. And it just seems like tick, tock, tick, tock. Tick, talk, no answer, delayed response. And from our perspective, it's getting worse, not better. 
this passage, you and I are going to discover over the next few weeks what a friend we have in Jesus. How sovereignly powerful he is. And so this morning, in purely a sermon of setup, I want to ask you this. Do you believe that Jesus loves you according to his love and his priorities and his plan? Are you willing to be honest with him? Mary and Martha got it right, by the way. And I'm going to show this to you next week. They knew how to pray to him. They knew how to go to Jesus. The disciples knew that Jesus knows things and he'll correct their faulty thinking. But are you and I willing to only look to Jesus Christ for our source of comfort, our source of hope, and dare I say, not only our source of power, but are you ready for this? For our source of timing. You see, back in January when Snowmageddon happened, and we were under a state of emergency and our airport was closed for four days and We wondered about how to get shoveled out and the city had to ask us to stay in our homes. And I remember the Facebook statuses and the Twitter accounts and the news. Everything was about how bad it was. But we'd overcome it. And then COVID happened. And we've been in some sort of quarantined lockdown now for 12 Sundays. And while our government is lifting restrictions, and yes, Lord willing, a week from tomorrow, we'll see some stores and restaurants open, and maybe some of you are counting the days till you can get your hair cut. But you realize, one flare-up, one bad decision made by a couple of people, one doctor who says something in authority, and everything could change again. And from our perspective, it goes from bad to worse. Do you believe that Jesus reigns? Do you believe that Jesus loves you? This I know for the Bible tells me so. Even when from our perspective, it seems like he's quiet. It seems like the problem's getting worse. You see, are you willing for God to use your life for His glory and the salvation of others? Or do you hold lesser agendas more dear? I want you to think about this. Don't resent God because He glorifies Himself through our trials and afflictions. Because if you do, you're going to miss out on the joy and wonder that ought to be ours. Let me tell you how this is going to work out. Mary and Martha send word to Jesus, Lazarus, whom you love, is sick. They assume He's going to come. And He stays there, and the man dies. And Jesus is going to come, and Martha will meet him and go, where were you when we needed you? And Mary will come and throw herself before him. Where were you when we needed you? And Jesus will come and weep before a grave, and then he's going to tell them to open up that grave, and everyone is going to hold their nose and go, what are you doing? But turn the page to John chapter 12, and you're going to discover that Jesus is at the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and they're holding a banquet because he who was dead is now alive. Perspective is everything. Mary and Martha at some point thought, 
all is lost. And you see, ultimately, this is a lesson. Because I don't know what you're going through. I can only know what I'm going through. But there are times I look at my marriage and my family and my grandkids and my children and my parents that are getting older and my friends. And I look around at a world that gets progressively more hostile and impatient with Christianity. And I see all the economics. And sometimes I can be tempted to go, oh, God, where are you and why are you not doing something? And I hear him whisper in my ear, oh, Stephen, I'm working. I'm working. Son, go back and read my Bible again and go to Revelation where you were reminded that the prayers of the saints are stored up in the vials of God before his throne. And one day Jesus will come back and all pain and sorrow and death and suffering will be no more and he shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. So no matter what you're struggling with right now, I want you to know that Jesus is very likely to take your worst trial, your greatest dilemma, the thing that causes you to lose sleep the most at night, and he will take it and glorify himself in it and transform you and I so that we can say, love so amazing, so divine, demands my heart, my soul, my all. What do you do when Jesus says, I'm going to take the thing that you are struggling with the most and I'm going to transform you and display myself through you to others? Do you trust him? Will you go with me on this journey all the way to Father's Day? And we'll discover just how amazing Jesus is. Let's pray. Father God, again, I thank you and I praise you for your love and your faithfulness, which is far better than my ability to preach and far better than my words. Spirit of the living God, would you fall fresh upon us right now? Would you change the lives of those that have watched this video? Lord, I pray for anyone out there that's suffering or hurting, doubting or struggling. Lord, that they too would know that they can turn to you, cry out to you. But Lord, that they would know that your love is displayed differently and defined differently than we do it. Lord, as the worship team and music team sends us off, I pray that if anyone out there does not know you, that they would feel a great sense of safety and security to call us or write or ask in any way a friend to know about Jesus Christ and his love. Lord, if any of my brothers and sisters, my friends that are watching this video are struggling, they feel overwhelmed. They feel like Jesus. Lord, would you cause us to live in community? Would you help us to look out for each other and lean on top of one another in prayer and love and graciousness? But more than anything, Lord... I very humbly admit to you that I'm a little afraid to preach sermons like this because it reminds me of how weak I am. Lord, I don't like to suffer. I want to laugh and eat great food and be with my friends and my family and see everybody grow up and mature and enjoy the things of life. But Lord, I do know that 
this life is not as good as it gets. And you've got a plan. So Lord, help me and my brothers and sisters to live out the gospel. To trust you, to not be so attached to the temporal things of this world. Lord, help us not to let news broadcasts overwhelm us, but rather the power of God lead us and comfort us and guide us. And I give it all to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.